Hello, and uh, welcome to episode eight of Anti-Folly. Uh, my name is Sam Connington, and I'm joined here today with... Ethan Sampson. Uh, this is going to be a really exciting uh, topic today. Probably not as exciting as the last one, but exciting num- nonetheless. You might have noticed we have a new uh, temporary intro music. Mm. It's Christmas time, guys. You know, uh, come on, just enjoy it. it. I think it's great. That's right. That made me so happy listening to that. Dude, and all the snow, oh, oh all the God. snow all that snow. just fell this weekend, just yeah, beautiful. It's it's great. I'm super looking forward to this Christmas break here. I don't know about you. <laughs> I thought we were going to have a brown Christmas, and I was mm. going to be really sad. Yeah, I would, I would have been really sad. It's just depressing with no snow, just like dark by 5 o'clock, cold. It's yep. just exhausting and depressing. Now there's snow. It's, everything's, everything's good in the world now. Amen. Yeah, so today's topic, um, if you don't already know, we're going to be talking about the uh, refugee crisis, uh, which isn't necessarily a specific crisis occurring. You know, in the moment, it's it's just an ongoing, constant uh, period of refugees fleeing political persecution, uh, religious persecution, all sorts of persecution, like economic, any situation. And I mean, I don't... I don't see it ending anytime in the future until the return of Christ, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we're going to talk about some past refugee crises, the current ones specifically, and yeah. And we're going to talk about the Christmas story. Uh, Amen. Question of the day, is the Christmas story a refugee story? Is it not? Is it kind of? What's what's the answer there? And how should we respond as Christians? Mm. So with that said, uh, Ethan, you want to lead in with the uh, scripture for today? Yes, I do. So, I mean, really the main two kind of Christmas stories come out of Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. So I'm just going to read Matthew chapter 2. And um, I think, especially the, ch- the Luke chapter, everyone kind of hears just every once in a while. And it's like okay, oh, I've heard this before, mm. not very interesting or not not anything new, but I just think let's take this podcast oppor- mm-hmm. as an opportunity really to just be like, okay, you know, what do I see similarities mm-hmm. here in the refugee, in the refugee crisis or et cetera. So yeah, I'm just going to start reading that. So this is Matthew chapter two. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For I am from you, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea uh, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Dang. That's... uh. <clears throat> it's got to be the, the longest scripture reading so far, but it's a great one. Bro, it didn't even say folly in it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. So did we're we command, breaking, we're did breaking we command death ground. for that one or no? Like, we didn't, we didn't search Not necessarily, for it bro. No. No. Pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. I just like, just to be transparent for me today, uh, I've got the mad burps right now. It happens, bro. It happens. So if there's any burps on this podcast episode, I'm, I'm sorry. But, yeah. So what do you think about when you when you hear that, that those sets of verses, you know, the, the beginning kind of overview of, like, the Christmas story itself of Jesus? I, well, just reading through that, I think mm-hmm. the the first thing that really stuck out to me was the response of response of the the wise men mm-hmm. when they beheld the star uh, and behold the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy mm-hmm. that kind of 
I don't know how to read Greek. Not yet. But <laughs> that's the kind of thing where it's like they're trying to make clear how excited and what joy they were filled with. Like they were they were people who genuinely were worshiping Christ mm-hmm. as the king. And and so then yeah, then they they get a dream, hey, don't go back to Herod, which is I mean, seems to me like God's kinda helping them out, like, hey. It's a pretty good set of advice, just kinda like yeah. what he's what he's gonna do. And I I think the I think another thing and this is maybe the passage that's really worth us kind of contemplating. This is thirteen through fifteen, and this is the the section that's talking about Joseph and Mary and little baby Jesus Mm -hmm. fleeing to Egypt where God, you know, is protecting them. And it's also fulfilling the prophecy of which he had already spoke out of Egypt. I called my son and I mean, I think this is where you see the most direct const- contrast between um, Mary and Joseph and Jesus and refugees is that is not the, um, oh, they went to all of these inns and they were turned away. It's the, they literally had to leave their, they left their country because Herod was trying to kill Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he, and and we also gloss over just how we call we call we call it Good Friday, the day that Christ is slain. I always, like, I always I always found that really weird when I was younger. It's like <laughs> I'm going to church, right, and I'm gonna like hear like about how like brutally murdered mm-hmm. the Savior was, and they call it Good Friday. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I've a I've a a good friend who calls it not so good Friday. But it I is good Friday very, though. It's good Friday it's for amazing. us. It's amazing. It's great. good Friday for it's us. It's great Friday. No, that's and I think that's true. Mm-hmm. But but it's the same thing, I guess. And what, what I was getting at is it's the same thing with with Christmas. We say, "Oh, how great the savior is born." And then you realize, "Okay, so that happens. They go to Egypt." And then Harry gets mad and he goes, okay, so depending on the time that he ascertained from what, you know, when the star had had risen from the wise men before, he goes, okay, I need to kill every male two years or younger. Mm-hmm. Like, and if I'm not mistaken, there's just some interesting geography about this where from where Herod was, he could look down onto Bethlehem mm-hmm. and he could hear. He was close enough that he could he- he would be able to hear the cries of these women as mm-hmm. his soldiers and men go out and kill all of these children. Yeah. And yeah. that's not that's not fun to celebrate, you know? No. Yeah. Don't realize what even Christ coming into the world what that meant for, you know, wasn't all, it wasn't wasn't all great. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a silent holy night. Like there were 
mm. children being slaughtered, infanticide occurring. Uh, I mean, just like like the kingdom, like the Herodian kingdom of Judea, like literally a, a client state of the Roman Empire. Uh, not the Roman Empire, sorry, the Roman Republic. Uh, I don't care, but yes. The client state. So like it's a puppet state, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's the Romans are like, hey, Herod, you're pretty cool. You're going to do stuff that we want you to do, and you're going to rule in a way that benefits us. So we're going to put you in power here and give you some sense of legitimacy over this area. And Herod kind of ruled, kind of reflecting that, as the Bible showed, is that like he was corrupt. He was brutal and depraved and he did he he used brute force to maintain a grip on power to legitimize his authority in the in the region and not like uh not like to draw direct direct parallels but like i mean there are just in the general sense of like you know political persecution all these things it's like there was a sense of of persecution very legitimately occurring in mm-hmm. in his kingdom and Jesus was born out of this, out of this depraved, out of from from within this super depraved state, and from the get go he was experiencing having to flee, mm-hmm. you know, for it. Wasn't this beautiful scene in like Christmas movies where it's like I mean it was beautiful when he was born obviously, but it's not this holy, you know, peaceful night. It's it, it's. There's like a persecution occurring, and I think that's an important thing to note because it's like I feel like Christmas, kind of gone tangent. Christmas is like given this sort of like fictional, super peaceful, super everything's good, everything's wholesome, everything's perfect. It's like you know, baby Jesus, sweet baby Jesus, blah 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 blah. But but we kind of forget the undertones of like babies are being killed. Jesus is from the get go having to be on the run. He's already being persecuted by by rulers, by Roman rulers, I guess to emphasize that. And he's already becoming, in a sense, a political, you know, refugee. I want to be careful with drawing the parallels, though, as I think we'll get in the mm-hmm. conversation. One more thing, just mm-hmm. directly from the story. I think what you just said brought up just a really interesting thing that I hadn't really considered. Yeah. Um, a, um, there's a... I, I watch a lot of YouTube. There's this great church in Arizona. Um, they run this this pay or this YouTube channel, Apologia Studios, and I just remember them talking about at some point just the like Herod knew what in some way Herod knew what Christ meant. Christ just being born as a baby threatened Herod's very reign from. From his birth, Herod is seeking to kill. He, like, can you just to like picture this guy literally trying to find some Jewish baby and kill it yeah. and kill him? Like, like why? We we would we would question his today. We would crush, we would question his motives, mm-hmm. and it's because the wise men knew it. Herod knew it. Everybody knew. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, but but those people knew what was going on. Enough they people knew, knew to the point where it. It really did threaten his his rule. This is the king of kings. Yeah. And he is just ascended from on high. He's taken on flesh. Mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, there was suffering. There were all those things going on. Those things still continued before and after Christ. Mm-hmm. 
but but something like otherworldly happened that day and just i mean just after that then then you have these two cases of and this thing happened and it fulfilled prophecy and this thing happened and it fulfilled prophecy mm-hmm. you know and i think that's just really crazy god is completely sovereign over what mm-hmm. is going on here herod was never going to succeed in killing christ mm-hmm. so yeah that's yeah i really like that you touched on that because it's like he was a huge threat and i think in his entire life he was a threat to you know the political forces i mean the um fairs the can't talk right now the pharisees were yes they were they were jewish they were pretty legalistic jews if i might say so myself kind of a hot take i know um what (laughs) i know it's crazy uh and obviously you had like under a roman occupation of judea and jerusalem and all these places where jesus is living and preaching the ideas that he puts forth the value of the individual you know good goodwill public charity all of these different things severely threaten the legitimacy of the current ruling order and you definitely see that with how the pharisees worked with the romans because the romans also wanted him gone you know they wanted mm-hmm. to make an example of this guy and and in a sense they really did but it it didn't work out for them in the long run, you know. Constantine, you know, still became a Christian. Boom. Or did he? That's that's a separate debate, but hope so, but you know. But yeah, that's it's funny that the legalization of legalization, but the the decriminalization, condone, the decriminalization of <laughs> Christianity was actually the downfall. I don't know if that's maybe correct to say, but it seems to me like that's the down Part of the downfall of the Roman Empire. Part of, yeah. Um, that's a whole wormhole to get into for sure. But yeah, yeah, I think that's that's interesting. Um, we've been kind of alluding to this kind of throughout the episode so far about kind of this idea that Jesus represents represents you know a political refugee. So I think it's it's only fair if we kind of jump into an op ed. Um, one that we both found from Time Magazine. It's from, I believe, uh, 2015. It's by Serene Jones, who, Ethan, you you know a bit about this particular particular writer, if I recall correctly, right? Um, I don't know really anything about her in particular, mm-hmm. but she, this is, at least at the time, she was the president of Union Theological Seminary in mm-hmm. New York, which is not a seminary. If yeah. you if you're if you're asking me, it's not a seminary. This is actually the same. This is this is where Dietrich Bonhoeffer went to seminary back in the day. Um, even then, I don't know how great of a seminary it was, mm-hmm. but now they do things like repent to plants, and yeah, you things found along those lines. Interesting thing, which is a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, and I. I'm sure we could dive. We might end up diving into that some other time as we talk about climate change and et cetera. But mm-hmm. yeah, suffice it to say, not the most. I don't know, orthodox. Is that fair to say? Yeah, orthodox, not orthodox or dogmatic. Approach. Very unorthodox. 
Yeah. <laughs> and not in a good way. I mean, I feel like unorthodox has a good connotation. Yeah, like, no, this, this is like a, like, I don't know, like hippies took over that place or something weird happened, bro. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it has a really interesting history mm-hmm. and kind of it's down. I'm sure you can kind of walk through its downfall, but definitely thought that was interesting. Yeah. And I could definitely see why some, someone from that seminary would be writing writing about the refugees mm-hmm. and attaching that to the Christmas story. Yeah. Um there was like a good good tweet. I don't this is by Oliver Wills. Willis. Which the tweet actually got deleted, which is always fun. Um Oliver Willis tweeted uh talking about Specifically about the Middle Eastern um, refugee crisis that was occurring in 2015, and there's a lot of pushback from some Republican lawmakers about accepting 100% of the refugees. You know, it's a nuanced conversation. But Mm -hmm. uh, Oliver tweeted, uh, If only we had a seasonally appropriate story about Middle Eastern people seeking refuge being turned away by the heartless. And this is is mostly talking about... um, Syrian refugees, and I think it's much less relevant now, I guess, under the current uh, Biden administration because it's not covered as much. But, you know, back in, like, mid-2010s, and especially during the president, uh, the presidency of Donald Trump, uh, there's a lot of talk, and I feel like almost every Christmas time, if you walked into, like, literally any single progressive Christian church, there is going to be at least one sermon during, you know, the season of Advent, making some sort of comparison of Syrians, of Mexicans, of a wide array of different refugees with Jesus. And I actually experienced this firsthand. I think it was like 2017. My family went um, to, we, we decided instead of going to our home church for our Christmas Eve service, we went to an ELCA church out in um, St. Michael where we live. And I haven't already talked about this before. My immediate family is quite diverse in uh, Christian perspectives. Uh, my parents were raised disciples of Christ and United Methodist. My first church I ever went to was was a female pastor, disciples of Christ church. Really love that female pastor. Still stay in contact with her today. She's been a really big part of my life. And even though I disagree with certain aspects, I still respect her a lot. Uh, eventually I went to a Methodist church and then when I say, I, when I would say I got, um, I guess converted, converted to Christianity, I started attending a redeemed, uh, redeeming cross, which is a, uh, reformed Baptist church. So I've been around, I guess I'll put it that way. Uh, I'm reformed Baptist, a bit more moderate. My brother's not moderate at all, but he's He's reformed Baptist and my parents are both, um, United Methodist church people. So if we ever go to church, which um, we don't always go to church with each other at the same time, we kind of go our different ways. But when we do go to church, to the same church, this, the conversation about the sermon after church is always extremely interesting, and we never agree. We went to the CLCA church, and for the first time in a long time, we were all basically walking out of that out of that sermon like, this sucked. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, my mom, bless her heart, she's always looking for the positive in things. Like, my dad's, like, very analytical. My mom is very analytical, analytical too. But she walked out of it 
And she like for a little bit was trying to be like, okay, well, this pastor, she made some good points here. And then she kind of, as she was talking about it, she kind of just like started agreeing with all of us. Like she sucked. Like it was not a good sermon. So basically talk about the sermon a little bit. Uh, the title was, I wandered, I was wondering as I wandered. And she kept repeating, I want, I wondered as I wandered, like very poetically, all of this. Uh, and First off, that aspect of it was just like super cringe. Like, why, why are you saying it like that? Like, stop. And she kept hammering home this like this point where it's like, she didn't say this directly, but like, it's bad for Christians, you know, for like, you know, conservatives. They should just be, you know, for accepting all of these people. They shouldn't deny anyone access to the United States. I'm like, generally, yeah, but like that totally lacks nuance on the issue that we're talking about. And it's not the same. You know, like the the experience like like Jesus was experiencing was was not the same as what someone fleeing Mexico is experiencing. It's not to say we can't apply similar principles to you know welcoming them in, but it's also like you can't just draw direct comparisons. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, I think with the tweet, um, I think this is really more so. If only we had a, I'll just read it again. If only we had a seasonally appropriate story about Middle Eastern people seeking refuge, being turned away by the heartless. That last bit, I think, being turned away by the heartless, I think that's, he's referring to people being turned away, or Joseph and Mary being turned away mm-hmm. from the inns. And I think, and I'm sure there's so much scholarly debate over this, but I think it's fair to say they weren't rejected. They were turned away. And so there, I don't, we know that there was the census going on. So everyone had to go to um, back to basically where mm-hmm. their, um, their family or origins, whatever, you know, like they had to all meet up as a family, et cetera. So, because Joseph is a son of David, he needs to go to David's 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 city yeah. to to Jerusalem. So that's why they were in they that that was saying they're in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So on the way back, they need to stay somewhere. It's like sixty miles on foot, and Mary's very very pregnant. Which sixty cannot, miles to begin with. Is I cannot rough. imagine. I cannot imagine. But so just to yeah, just to say that. But I don't think the people that were there turned them away because they were heartless. They turned them away because there was no room. Mm-hmm. And I think they even apologized. There's like there's at least one example. I don't know exactly where, but regrettably, they denied them access to the end. It wasn't like they were like, no, you can't come in, and I'm not feeling sad about this at all. It was like, I mean, they're a business owner. Of course they want to bring people in so they can make money, right? They don't want to turn away this like pregnant woman because they're heartless. It, it's because they literally mm-hmm. do not have room in the end for it. And don't, don't you think it's almost, isn't it kind of offensive to compare that situation to someone fleeing cartels or Islamic extremism or American interventionism to people, unfortunately, being denied access to something because they weren't prepared? I mean, let's just say Mary and mm-hmm. Mary and Joseph, they weren't they weren't really prepared. 
And it's not necessarily their fault, but it's not like these people are being heartless. It's very different, you know? And I think that goes back to really kind of the motives of reading Matthew 2 instead of Luke 2 because that just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. It really, it doesn't really connect on the same level as saying Joseph and Mary with Jesus had to flee from their country to Egypt because of Herod, Herod's wrath, basically. Yeah. And that seems to me like that fits a lot more, but that doesn't make, that doesn't, that doesn't seem to be what the tweet's referencing. So just in kind of response in general to that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's, to go the other way also, it is, it is kind of, it's kind of offensive to boil. I, I get what he's getting at, you know, but I think in a way it's it's kind of offensive to just boil down the Christmas story to uh, if only we had a story about people seeking refugee. And it's like, oh, I, I don't know. Just that, that just, part, of, yeah. part of it, you know? I mean, it's clear that, that the intent of the tweet wasn't to uh, provide uh, meaningful intellectual input to a extremely... Um, devastating situation for individuals. It was just a jab in a partisan manner at people that they disagreed with. So yeah. to that sense, there's not really a lot of weight to it. But I think that perspective is important because I think there's that tendency to just Jesus was was a refugee basically, so therefore we should be in favor of accepting all refugees. And I don't think that's that's I don't think that's something we're required to be called to at all. Like period. So I think yeah. it I think yeah that it, that does exactly what we've I'm I know we've said this before that love and acceptance are not the same. So I can't just say well what would be quote unquote loving what would be accepting of me is to accept all people regardless of what they've done regardless of of anything. I'm just going to accept all people into into the country. But then it's not an isolated incident. You're welcoming people into a country full of other other people that you, as a government, are supposed to be protecting. So if someone is a violent criminal, regardless if they're from the Middle East or from Canada, like the, these people shouldn't be allowed to just enter in and live here we don't we don't we don't want those people here. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't want those people when when we find out, quote unquote find out, when we find out that some when someone commits a crime that's that's violent, we take them off the streets because we don't want them there. Well, we used to. We used to do that. <laughs> but like ideally, yeah. Or if someone, you know, steals, oh my gosh, the amount of thievery that is going on like on the east coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or west coast, probably both. Just people walking into stores and just taking things. It's really sad. Really sad. Everyone, but, everyone just wants to get some, you know, some great licks. Juicy lick. Juicy licks, bro. Yeah. Uh, I kind of just something. Um, you know, terms are important, right? I think we we both agree that uh, the United Nations they define the term refugee as quote, uh, people who have fled war, violence, conflict, or persecution 
and have crossed an international border to find safety in another country. Uh, Jesus never left Judea in the Christmas story. He never left the Herodian kingdom. He never left the sphere of the Roman Republic. He was always within some client state of the Roman Republic. There's like an analogy, you know, similar to like the United States. Not perfectly because it like the, the nation state and countries weren't the same as they are defined now. But mm-hmm. it's really similar just like to, let's say I leave California to go to Minnesota because I didn't like California, right? That's not, I would not, I would technically not be a refugee. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's important to note that like in that sense, Definition wise, Jesus was not a refugee, period. Now, I do give some credence to the fact that he was fleeing regions to less volatile regions, you know, to escape persecution. And I think that's intellectually honest to acknowledge that. And in that sense, he's a refugee. But there there really isn't that clear line being drawn where he is 100% a refugee. And I think that's something important to note. Um. But yeah, what are, what yeah. are your thoughts? Uh, I think having laid those things out, I think hopefully this is one of those things that Christians can be really, for the most part, unified on. I think what you've already said is very true, that this is a very nuanced thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But just to point out one verse here, this is uh, Leviticus 19, Old Testament, crazy. Who knew, bro? Who knew the Old Testament is like, like <laughs> I don't know, good. Leviticus 19, 33. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not wrong him. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as one of your citizens. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So remember where you've come. You should love this person. You should treat them as one of your own, mm-hmm. because they res- if they reside, if they reside in your nation, and you shouldn't wrong them. Yeah, and I think there's some conversation about the the laws applicability in America, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But the kind of the principle there, just being, or the thing to get at there, I think, is really the we should love these people. We shouldn't just keep everyone from coming here no and and i think even in the status of you know america today it's still just it's amazing that we get to live in a place that people want to be here so badly Mm -hmm. we're so blessed i mean anyone that's living in america that's listening to this podcast is probably like is top one percent in the world like we are we are the wealthy we are the privileged yeah even like the the poorest of the poor in the united states is like would be middle class one percent in in some other countries that's something important to know not that the suffering that you would experience in the class no isn't suffering still but like there's something objectively good and lucky about the united states inherently and i think that's something you should recognize you know um, 
Gosh, this is like I feel like this is a low energy podcast, bro. No, bro, we're, I, I'm a little sleepy. I'm a little sleepy too. I mean, it's important to note it is 12:09 right now, as, as we're recording this. That is in the morning. Mm. 12:10 now. Oh yeah, it just changed over. <laughs> but we're in the buildings, the the Bethel buildings, and we're an hour and ten minutes past when the buildings are supposed to be locked down. And uh, pretty cool. Technically, we're in a place that was supposed to be locked down at six. Really? Technically. So what I'm hearing is we're refugees. Sam's processing. No. (laughs) No, No, I know. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But, yeah, I mean, kind of to add, like, kind of add what you're talking about just before the little break there, is it Christians, we have a calling especially coming from that historical persecution that we've experienced beginning with Jesus Christ. We should be welcoming, loving, finding ways to help people in our own countries and outside of our own country. You know, like specifically in like the case of America, um, something similar, like more recent with the, uh, the takeover of Afghanistan, um, I think this speaks for a lot of what happens in the Middle East. Uh, we screwed up a lot of the situations there. Um, we created a lot of the crises and situations where we've seen an increase in refugees seeking refugee status in America and other countries. And because we caused a lot of those issues, I think in order for us to be a moral country, to do well, to do justice, I think we should find ways that we can honor those who we we took advantage of, who we destabilized their countries, all of these things. We should be airlifting them to the United States. I think we have a moral... There's something compelling, and not just compelling, mm-hmm. but there's, there's almost a requirement... There's a responsibility. Yeah, a responsibility for us to take these people in that helped us in these countries, people that we we impacted negatively in these countries. We should be doing everything we can to bring them to the U.S., provide them refuge, maybe in other countries, whatever. We we created an issue, and I think we need to suffer the consequences. When I say suffer the consequences, that doesn't mean, and I'm by no means saying we need open borders right now, and we need to unilaterally accept every single person seeking refugee status because yes god is a loving god yes we as christians should be seeking to love others but that doesn't mean we can't have discernment in who we let come to the country and when i say discernment i'm not talking about like stupid like 19th 20th century like oh if you're not you know if you're not a traditional anglo-british white person Mm -hmm. we're not going to let you in the country or if you don't have every single standard of Americanism that we want, we're not going to let you in the country. But it does mean that there are certain traits. Like we don't want someone who has a history of beating their wife that we know about to be able to seek refuge in America. You know, we don't want someone who mm-hmm. is a terrorist to come to America. You know, I will acknowledge the fact that that is a small percentage of people seeking refuge. But it's not bad for us to turn away that small percentage. You know, I think it's good for us to do that. 
Um, and yeah, and I think kind of going back to basically 2015 and some of the stuff, a lot of the rhetoric during the Trump administration and during this past crisis, the Mexican border, um, which depending on who asked, was a crisis or wasn't a crisis. It was a crisis. Who cares? There's an issue happening. And kind of the rebuttal against, you know, Trump's increase of, you know, discernment at the border and who we allow in was, oh, well, these people are conservative. They're mostly Christian. They should be, they should be for letting all these people in. And it's like, just because they're refugees doesn't mean I can suddenly not believe in a law and order stance of immigration. You know, it doesn't mean I just have to like, oh, here's the gate. Everyone just walk in, you know? And I think that rings true now with like things like COVID and other things. Like we don't want people just to come walking in. It's, it threatens the safety of our people, you know? But we should still be seeking a pro-immigration, pro-refugee mm-hmm. stance. And I think that's the moral thing to have. It just needs to be a moderate and like realistic view of it. I don't know if you want to add anything. Like what do you what, what do you think? Do you disagree? Disagree? No. Yeah. Come on. No, I <laughs> I I think that it's I mean, there's definitely I can see people saying, Oh well, you know, we already have so many people coming in. There's this crisis at the border and et cetera. We can't handle this influx of, basically economically, we can't handle this influx of unskilled labor, which I don't know. I don't know, like, the economic merit to that argument. I think there's probably some truth to it. Possibly, but, I mean, we could use, it seems like everywhere I look, we could use some unskilled labor. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, I think... um, I think that it is an, it's one of those things, it's funny because I think with a refugee, with that conversation, in just in politics, I think that's one of the way more, like, left and right are a lot, seem, maybe not far left, but like, there's a lot of people that are really close, but it gets, it makes it look really, because, oh, you know, Trump is banning, you know, he's ban- he's banning immigration from all Muslim countries. Mm-hmm. And that looks really bad. But I but I think it's just a little it's a lot closer than certain other things like abortion or et cetera, where it's like, okay, it's not like Trump was saying all immigration is bad. No, that's not what you he's know? saying. So there's so it's not like completely opposite sides. Mm-hmm. It's it just seem it seems to me like it's more nuanced, and and yeah. so it's it feels nice and maybe I don't know what you th- you think but it feels kind of nice to be able to say yes I think that I think that people should be able to come to this great country, and immigrate here, and seek refuge here, and I think that we should take responsibility for our mistakes, in those, in those countries and I think that we need to. We need to re reevaluate the border mm-hmm. and et cetera. And I want people to come here. And I think really the only difference that, or maybe the, the big difference is I say, I want people to come here legally. Yeah. And others will say, well, the system's screwed up. So 
you know, screw the system. So screw the system. Let them come. And I understand, you know, it's like, it's just like those, the abortion arguments where it's like, well, the foster care and adoption system are messed up. Yeah. So we shouldn't, you know, let these babies immigrate to this country. Yeah. AKA be born. Yeah. It's like, you know, slavery is like wrong, but you know, at the same time, it's like, what are we going to do when we free them? Right. It's like, do we have any systems in place, you know, for them to be like economically (laughs) stable? So we should make sure they have those systems in place before we like, you know, give them equality as a human being. Right? No, absolutely <laughs> not. That's a stupid argument. Yeah. Oh no, my exactly. gosh, dude. Sorry for everyone's ears, but... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. So it's like... I, I think it's like, oh... I don't think that everyone should just illegally should just illegally immigrate here because obviously this that creates all these problems. We should mm-hmm. deter those things. But I, I do see how we should reevaluate. I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's difficult to get in this country, but it also it's, I guess the, the thing in the back of my head right now is just kind of more cu- out of curiosity is really like, well, we say, you know, we're full and we have all this, whatever, but it's like, I want people to come here that love this country, that mm-hmm. want to work hard, that want to make money, that want to do those things because we're really, our nation's getting older, mm-hmm. way less people are having kids and, and a lot of people, if they're willing to say it or not, I don't know, but they really don't like America. It's like, I would way rather be surrounded by people that are different ethnicities and colors of skin, mm-hmm. but love this country. It's yeah. like, we want those kind of people for sure. For sure yeah. And we want to be the place that takes in those mm-hmm. who are, who have had their homelands destroyed and ha- or, or have to flee from their circumstance because of something that we did. Like we should take mm-hmm. responsibility for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly, it's kind of exactly what, we're, what I think. And I, I like that you stress like how, you know, people like, there does seem like there's a lot of unification on the issue. And I agree to an extent. I'm actually going to disagree with you though a little bit here. I think, no. Oh, no, dude. Um, I think that's only because now during like the Biden administration, it's not really an issue anymore, even though it is. You saw, like, because Trump made it such a key facet of his campaign and yeah. his administration, there was so much misinformation and fake news spread about the policy stances of people like Trump, people that support Trump, Republicans, and somehow trying to make it different from what, you know, liberals and people on the left, Democrats, viewed as a solution. And... We both wanted sort of to solve the refugee issue, you know? Mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure, you know, at the Mexican border that people, that a good situation arose. But I don't think there was a good heart, you know, true, I actually want to help the situation. I think there was a lot of politics involved on both sides. But I think far more on, on the left side, if I'm going to be completely blunt. You had constant misinformation and lies about Trump 
his statements about illegal immigration. Like you literally had him go on a rant about drug dealers, coyotes, people that smuggle people over the border and rape women, all of these horrible things. He made this giant speech about that. And what does CNN and people do? They cut it out of context and they spread fear mongering to our Hispanic community, to liberals, to all these people that he's talking about them, even though he specifically said illegal immigrants. And that's a hugely important note. Republicans, libertarians, all these varying people were in favor of legal immigration. Democrats, they're just immigration as a whole. They, whatever, you know, and they've shown consistently that they don't really care the method. They're just in favor. And then they argue that because we have some sort of, like, we don't think just anyone should be able to enter the, the border for whatever reason. That makes us anti-immigration. And that's just a bad faith argument. And it's mm. just not true. It's just like the vaccine argument. It's like, you know, your anti-vaccine mandate. Wow, you must, like, be against vaccines. Like, Hey, guys, my name's Sam Connington. I got the vaccine. I'm about to get my boost shot on the 20th. Also, I don't think that uh, the government should be allowed to forcibly inject people, even though I think vaccines are good. That's an opinion to have, and I think that's a reasonable opinion, but you're not allowed that there's, those are supposedly two different opinions and they have nothing to do with each mm-hmm. other except for vaccines. And it's the same thing with immigration. It's there's like, no nuance. There's no nuance. It's like, I'm in favor of immigration, but I don't think that anybody can just walk into our country because I think borders matter and state sovereignty matters. That's not immigration, really. Yeah. Because if there's no borders, then you're not really. And that's, There's no such thing as immigration, really, then, right? Yeah. And that's just so ridiculous that that's the that's conversation. And the fact that for, like, four years we focused so much on that instead of, like, oh, there's a crisis happening at the border and people are dying. We're instead spreading misinformation and all that. And then guess what happens when Biden gets elected? The cages are still there. We're still rounding up people. In fact, they're rounding up people on horseback. Mm-hmm. And, and to be clear, those cages were, were put in place by the Obama administration. Yeah. When Joe Biden was vice president. Yeah. So it's like, it's really clear that there is that partisan side. And it's like, they don't really care about, you know, Mexicans. They don't care about, they don't care about anyone. They just care about power. In the same way that I think a lot of Republicans only cared about power as well. But it's just like, you know, as, as Christians, it's like our response should be, yes, we want to help you, but not like everyone come in by the floodgates. We're not even going to check to see if you're like a murderer, or, you know, rapist, whatever. And that's that's stupid. And kind of to kind of connect with, I guess, kind of to take it more specifically back to the Middle Eastern approach, um, some in- interesting statistics, um, especially relating to um, Africa. Afghani uh, asylum speaker, uh, seekers. Uh, the support amongst uh, devout Muslims for Sharia law um, that they, they, they are in favor of making Sharia law the law of the land is uh, specifically in Afghanistan, if I can find... Where is it? Oh, crap. I lost it. Really? Really? Right now? Come on. Okay, Ethan, do you have anything to say while I'm trying to find this? Um, I guess I'm really just thinking about this 
I guess the question really came to me while you were kind of talking about how how can we in the small ways really reflect like a spirit of Christmas? And what is that? What are, what are some takeaways from Matt, the story in Matthew in the story and in, 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 in Luke as well of, of how we can really kind of, I don't know, as they would say, like embody, embody the spirit of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I think it's smaller than immigration because that's really a, a policy thing. Mm-hmm. But I do think I do think there's something about welcoming people into your home when you do have room and making room mm-hmm. for those people. And I don't know, it doesn't have to be this really big extravagant thing, but just love on people, have people over and get to know them. And I think, I don't think this is what the innkeepers did, but I think this is what many people would have done. What Joseph and Mary's family did is they looked at, they looked at them in their circumstance. They said, Mary's pregnant and Joseph and Mary aren't married. And so this is a complete looking from the outside, they, I think, really correctly concluded that that is messed up. It's a a messed up situation Mm -hmm. from their perspective. They don't know is that the Christ has come, that he is in the womb, he's growing, just like we all did, and that he's going to be born, and that that wasn't some, it was actually Joseph and Mary being faithful. Mm. And so it's like, yeah, get to get to know people and welcome them into your home, and I think that's maybe the sort of individual takeaway, yeah, just from that story. But I think, yeah, I think, have you found it? Yeah, I found it. Um, good. According to the Pew Forum, uh, the percent of Muslims who say Sharia law should be made official in countries where Islam is the officially favored religion uh, is quite, quite. Telling um, Afghanistan, when this uh, statistic was was made, it was ninety nine percent. I mean, statistics oh. aren't perfect, but like, and to be clear, Sharia law is Sharia law. It's a a very extremely traditional interpretation of Islamic law, which essentially advocates for this theonomical. What I would argue theocratical uh, administration of law under a moral code as defined by Islamic interpretation. And it is much, it's, there's, there's these different factions of Islam. I'm no, in no way an expert on Islam, but I'd like to divide it in ways I think most religions should be, should be viewed is that there's liberal strands of Islam and conservative strands of Islam. And then there's the in-between. And, when I say liberal, I'm not talking about like liberal politics. I'm talking when I say conservative, I'm not talking about conservative politics. Basically, what I'm saying is liberal. You're you're the level of dogmatic, orthodoxical um, attachment to the scripture is loose. You don't read it. You know, you don't read 
the verses that say to go out and kill infidels as being, you know, an actual call. You maybe disagree with it to a degree. You it's have a different interpretation. Maybe needs to be put in its context. You don't necessarily agree with it, so you're not going to apply it. You're, you're more westernly influenced. On the flip side, on more conservative strands, you're going to take all of, of the Quran, all of the Hadith, all of the acts of Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad, during his life in a, in a literal and complete interpretation. You're not going to put your own modern interpretation into it. You're going to take it for what it is. I think with most things, not saying um, a originalist interpretation that necessarily... So no, I'm going to say originalist. An originalist interpretation of a, of a religion's um, dogmas and orthodox views is the correct interpretation of that because you are reading it for what it was founded on and what the, the creeds and what the beliefs and what, what the religion is about. Sure. I think if you loosely follow those things, there's no point in following them, following or even associating with that religion because the whole point of religion is a set of rules, an objective, objectivity, at least in the Abrahamic fashion. Um, I think Hinduism, Buddhism, obviously that gets super weird because it's super unstructured and structured at the same time. But in this, in this light, it, it matters. Conservative Muslims will adhere to a orthodoxy approach to interpreting scriptures. And that's why I argue, I don't, I don't see, ISIS is definitely not a representation of conservative Islam because they, they violate very many, they have, no, they have multiple wives, which is actually in line with it. <laughs> but <laughs> they, they do rape women, which, okay, marital rape is justified in Islam to a degree. Okay, this is like sounding worse. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, <laughs> basically, they do do thing, a lot of things that violate Yo. the Quran. They're literally a military ruler. It's going to happen, you know. So they're like an extremist but group. But they're far more in line with Quranic teaching than, mm -hmm. say, Ilan Omar. Would, where, whereas, like, the, really the only, like, pure Quranic thing that she follows is making fun of Christians and <laughs> Jews and, you know. But, like, she's not actually, like super passionate about like being devout and falling. I mean, she's literally a woman in authority. She's culturally Muslim. She's really just culturally Muslim. And I feel like she, she obviously just uses it to her advantage as much as like someone who has some Jewish heritage is going to use that to their advantage or someone who is, you know, they grew up in the, in the Catholic faith or they grew up in the reformed faith or whatever, but they don't really care. They're going to use it to their advantage to get votes politically. It's yep. all the same thing. It's all just people pretending to actually follow faith. I guess to get to the point, um, Sharia law is as at odds with classical liberalism, with an idea, with basically everything America stands for. Um, I think if you go go to another statistic by the Pew Forum, they talk about, if you go down a bit, for the percentage of uh, supporters of Sharia Law. So as we saw in Afghanistan, 99%, according to the P-Form, supported Sharia law. Um, if you go to the statistics for, like, of that group of 99% of the population that were Muslims, which is a huge proportion of population, it's a Muslim-majority country, uh, in the Middle East, North Africa, statistical grouping, uh, those in favor of executing those who leave Islam was uh, 56%. Um, corporal punishment and severe corporal punishment for criminals was 57%. 
and to have really religious judges oversee family law was 78%. Um, obviously not close to 99%, but the fact there's any like huge amount of people. Majority. Like, even, yeah, there's an, literally a majority that support that specific act of like, you know, killing people who leave the faith. I don't know about you, but like to me, that kind of seems very antithetical to freedom of religion, to rule of law in our country. Like it's a little re- a bit of a red flag. Yeah, like if you ask me, that's bad. That's garbage. I think that's a garbage ideology. Like I'll just say it right now, you can call me Islamophobic. You know, go call Christopher Hitchens Islamophobic. Go call Matt Marr yeah. Islamophobic. Like. Call uh, there's another liberal guy. He was on, it's on Jimmy Kimmel, and he was talking about he's an atheist, and he was just like, he's like, I love Muslims, but I think Islam is an objectively garbage ideology, <laughs> and I I can distinguish the ideology from people that follow yeah, it. Like I don't I totally. I think the ideology is garbage. You know, as much as I think the Jewish ideology is garbage. I mean, I'm gonna think every other ideology is garbage because I'm Christian. You know, newsflash. But I just think it's it's bad. I think, given that, if you actually if you actually care about refugees and integrating into society, not assimilating, but integrating, you know, not just coming to America and then going into their ethnic enclaves where they only live with people of the same ethnicity, yeah. we really want what America to be a melting pot. We don't want people to come in and live in their own isolated communities. Mm. And if we're just going to accept people out of floodgates. With no discernment, we're going to get a bunch of people that aren't willing to integrate, aren't willing to join society in that way. And that's not good because that creates division and instability within our country and economic suffering. I mean, you see in like Minneapolis with there's, um, got the name, there's a part of Minneapolis where there's public housing for Somali residents. And that is almost completely isolated from the rest of Minneapolis. Hmm. They don't speak English. It's, they're not part of the community, there's literally a highway in between it. They don't have access easily to the city. Like, that's bad. Mm-hmm. If I want I want Somalians to come to America. I want Mexicans. I want all these people who come to America. And I don't want them, I don't want to just let them in here and then have them be like, oh, they'll be over there. I don't ever have to associate with them, you know? Yeah. And that's exactly what the politicians are like, you know? Ilhan Omar, uh, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, they're all in their, like, mansions and their gated communities. Like, they're not going to have to, like, quote-unquote, deal with people of different cultures, like, to that degree. Like, I want them to integrate into society. I want them to be successful. I want to be able to be in community with them and to associate with them and be friends with them. And if we just accept everyone like that without having a plan, it's not going to allow for that to happen. And if we welcome people in the country that have views about society that are destructive to our own society— you know, views like we should be able to execute by law people that disagree with our faith and leave our faith. That's Oof. bad. We should not let those people into the country. And I think as a Christian, that should be our call not to let those people into the country. But at the same rate, a lot of the people fleeing Afghanistan after the Taliban takeover, they do not necess- They obviously are not going to be in favor of those strict Sharia law influences because if they were, they wouldn't be fleeing the Taliban. Because mm-hmm. the Taliban wants to implement that. Exactly. So the vast majority of Afghanistan refugees should be welcomed in the country. And I'm really glad that we did do it. I think Biden completely flunked the operation and we missed out on doing a bunch of people justice and welcoming them into America. 
Mm. But at least we got some people and, you know, it was a mess that we created, but at least we remedied it even slightly. Yeah. Totally. I guess that was really making me think about um, just the, so this is kind of maybe a little abstract. I'm going to try to tie this in. This is um, go for it. <laughs> just, I think there's this this horizon. We've been having this horizontal conversation mm-hmm. about citizenship in different places, um, and the way we should go about that. Um, Paul starts talking about. It's not in. It's not in this. Oh no, it is. He talks about our citizenship, and how our citizenship is in heaven. So, this is, um, I'm just going to read a little section here. Philippians 3, 18. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is in their shame, with their mind set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so it's not, oh, I'm going to, Paul's not saying, oh, I want to, to kill these people because they don't believe. He said, believe what I, you know, the truth. He says, I've said it to you before, and I will say it again, even with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the reality. And that's that's the I mean, I, I think that's that is a sad thing, is people are so preoccupied on those other things mm-hmm. that they're missing they're missing out. They're missing out on the true citizenship, which is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it adds that whole that whole Christian layer of like. I think this is this is a foolish thing that that we often do is like, well, this does this world doesn't really matter because our citizenship is in heaven, so we'll just you know. It matters because our citizenship exactly, is in heaven. like that's exactly. the exact reason why it matters because like, we have that comfort and that safety. But that safety and comfort should and does empower us to try to make this world as as painless as as just as possible mm-hmm. not in a utopian sense but to really try to do justice to it in the best way we can in this fallen world is that yeah yeah i don't know yeah I, I, like to, I think about that sometimes when i get depressed about like something really bad that happens in the world and i'm like this is good that i don't feel good about this but also i shouldn't just mope around I have to check myself and be like, this doesn't matter, but it matters. This doesn't matter, but it matters. It doesn't matter, but it matters. That's I mm-hmm. always repeat that to myself because it's like there's something righteous about being upset about oppression, about suffering, and wanting to fix it in a, in a Christ-like manner. And But you should always be checked that, you know, if this fails, if this doesn't work, the fact that this keeps happening, all of this stuff, it's because of our fallen nature. And I've been saved by grace and grace alone. And... I'm promised this future with with Christ where all of these things are going to go away. And that's 
That's beautiful. That's the gospel. <laughs> kind of. No, oh, it is, man. Yeah. It is. It's, it's so good. It's a, I don't know. I, I think there's just a lot about this passage that really just kind of sticks out. And I think the way it ends, especially in the ESV, which isn't the translation I usually use when I look at Philippians, but yikes. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, to know that he is perfectly sovereign. And I think that in all the complex things, that's that's not why we disengage, but that's why we engage, is because we know that, that Christ is working and he is subjecting all things to himself. He is working out all things according to the counsel of his will. And so as we engage in these things, we know that we can do this faithfully. And, and I don't think that it's lost on Paul you know, as he talks about saying with tears that people walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I don't think it's lost on him the reality of the wrath and judgment to come on those people. I don't think those things are lost on him as just the way it's going to be. He's taking those things seriously and he is engaging and and really I think hopeful that because it doesn't matter if people come to America or not. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what where they live on this earth if they're not if their citizenship isn't in heaven. Mm-hmm. Because it, it I mean it, it it changes everything for Paul. Before this, um, he goes, indeed, eight, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Mm. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them garbage in order that I may gain Christ. He doesn't care about all the other things. He doesn't care about the suffering that he experiences. He doesn't care if he gets killed for the practicing of, of his citizenship, mm. but those I'm yeah, but just that those, it's just this complete reorientation, and so, I guess, that's maybe something that as I as I'm thinking out loud, just to bring to the conversation whenever, if ever this kind of conversation about immigration comes up is and it will, and it 100%. will, and it's gonna. This, I think if we haven't already said this. This isn't something that's just going to go away. Mm-hmm. Wars happen, bad things happen, and and people need to seek refuge. Mm-hmm. And holy think, crap, bro! There's literally a mouse in here. Oh, do you see it? No. Well, holy hold, this is like moment break here, real quick. I don't know where it went, but I literally just saw a mouse climbing down. Holy frick! It's right there. Do you see it, bro? No. Oh, wait, no. It's in the back room. It's in the back room. There's literally a mouse crawling oh, up. Oh, <laughs> totally. Dude. What's up, mouse? Yo. <laughs> that's crazy. We'll probably cut this part off, but. I don't know if we should. Well, that's, no. That mouse is in refuge in here, bro. There's that's probably true. an exterminator somewhere trying to get that guy. I mean, that's what we get for being here at 1245 AM. Chill, bro. I'm not afraid of mice. Kind of cute, bro. I what hope, if it's Stuart I Little? I hope it wants and it bit me. If it's oh. Stuart Little. <laughs> 
Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> I mean, I was getting kind of ready to wrap up, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I agree yeah. with, like, the aspect where it's, like, we're not permanent citizens. None of this matters, but at the same time, it really does matter because we are permanent citizens. You know, and kind of going back to your point where it's, like, this is going to be a an ongoing issue. It's going to be an ongoing issue in America. You know, even when America eventually maybe ceases to exist itself. Like, this is historically mm-hmm. always been an occurrence. It's always been suffering. There's always been oppression, violence, and people seeking refuge and escape from it. And all of this is, is I think, one of the most intimate reminders of the fallen nature of the world. Like, there's really nothing that, you know, shows the depravity of, of and fallen nature of our rulers and the people in countries if they're selfish, you know, intense for power, then the refugee. You know, you have the Karen people in uh, South Asia. You know, they're they're escaping from persecution from military dictatorships, from sultanates, from different regimes and people taking over and over and just con- like the horrible stuff happened to the Karen people to this day. You know, and that's like emblematic and symbolic of. They're seen as a threat by by the people in authority, and they're just being ruthlessly murdered and attacked for it. And you see this all around history, all around the present day, and that's because we're fallen. And our answer to that should not be, let's just isolate ourselves in America. And it's also let's it's also not let's just let everyone in. It's that you know, I'm a Christian. I think we need to love people. We need to help people. And while we're here in this fallen world, I think we have a calling to try to try to make it as, as good as we can while we're here. And I don't know about you, but like that is such like a overwhelming task because it's it's like where do I even begin to try to do that? Like I'm in college right now. How am I supposed to help someone a thousand miles away? in another country like i can't even get myself out of bed on time (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah and maybe you won't be able to help them right now but also it's keeping in mind that like you you can't individually help someone just by your own will you need to do it through christ exactly you know and i know i feel like after every single episode i want this to be the answer but god's the answer christ is the answer the gospel is the answer in this situation Mm mm-hmm because this is always going to exist, and we're never going to escape, and there's never going to be a tr- really a perfect solution. We can't do away with suffering. No, not at all. Not as humans. No, and so I think one great way, and there's all kinds of great things that do this, where it's, oh, here's this place, here's this place. It's it's uniting yourself to the will of, of God, and how do you do that? You pray. Mm. doesn't cost you any money. just costs you time. And it's worth it. I I wish that I, you know, as much as I know that's true, that I actually did that, that I set aside time and prayed for for those who are suffering, who are persecuted. And just that, yeah, that in all, all of the, I think that's really just a, a great tool. And all the things that we can't control, we know mm-hmm. that God is in control. And that he's working those things out. God's in control just like he was in in control of 
the situation with Herod. All things serve a purpose, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, everything. It's like all those babies dying served a purpose, you know? It further, there goes the mouse again, sorry. Uh, <laughs> literally just crawling on the wall, what a guy. Okay. It served a purpose, an objective purpose, purpose to, to achieve God's means and ends. And, you know, Christ's entire life as, as sort of a refugee in a sense, you know, not a helpless refugee, but a refugee, it showed him going to the lowest of the lowest experiences and really, you know, suffering what, what people suffer. And I think that's beautiful in a way and also is just a reminder of that, you know, that always present existence of the suffering that we're going to experience and the fact that that there's there's some answers to it they're not perfect but there's some stuff that we should we should seek after and and try to achieve yeah I, I think that's that's my takeaway for the episode I mean I mean kind of for me to close off um if I haven't already emphasized this enough I mean I'm not a refugee I've never my family's never been really a refugee because like the worst thing that I can think happened was on my mom's side when one of my great grandpas had to change his last name during uh either World War One or World War Two from like Fisher F I S C H E R to F I S H E R. Which I mean that's bad, but like nowhere compared to what other people have experienced historically. And I've been I've had a really privileged life and upbringing. I can't imagine, you know, what it's like for someone to be in Afghanistan to grow up in that environment where your basic God-given rights are, you know, threatened by the state, you know, or in, or in like a, in a place in, in certain parts of Mexico where it's like, you aren't guaranteed that, that peaceful life. And I'm thankful that I was given that opportunity to not, not grow up in that situation. But I also recognize like, I can't relate at all. So this is a tough situation. i kind of like the abortion situation we talked about. It's like, this is a really hard situation to be in. And if I came across as insensitive at all, that unless I was right, I didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> but no, for real, I it sucks. And I I really don't want this people to think that I don't care about people that are refugees or yeah. whatnot. Like, I can't imagine, you know, the, the circumstances someone could be in. So, yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I think if anything, we really were just just trying to meditate on that mm -hmm. on that idea of what it means to be a refugee. What does that all look like? And really just kind of scratch the surface of that. But I think if it does anything, it it points out the the impact continually that scripture has mm -hmm. like it's still living and breathing it's still this story the christmas story is still as compelling as it ever was mm -hmm. and and even those little things like just like people are like oh these genealogies they're a waste of time why does it matter that jesus mary and joseph went to egypt and back again what does that really I mean, it explains the story that that's mm -hmm. why Jesus didn't get killed by Herod. But it, 
but it speaks to that Christ was human. He was human. He was in a certain space in time. He lived, he breathed, he ate, he cried. He did all Mm -hmm. those things that we do. And he grew up just like we did. And, and it wasn't easy for Mary and Joseph Mm -hmm. and they sacrificed so much, even just, just what they did raising Jesus is is such a blessing and a grace to us and i don't think we should treat mary the way that the catholic church does but i do think that we should be very very thankful for the sacrifices that she made Mm -hmm. to bring the savior to the world she was probably 15 Mm -hmm. and that i think in all of that it just it's crazy it just adds more continues to add more depth to my understanding of christmas as i think less and less about Santa and more more about Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So, and thank God for that as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, Christmas is definitely strayed. That's a whole other conversation to have. But, oh, yeah. I don't really think it was at, to begin with, I don't think it was to a high level about, you know, Christ's birth to begin with. You know, I don't think there's a huge emphasis from the get go. But, yeah, I'm not advocating for this like perfect comparison of Christmas to propel my partisan ends in a immigration and refugee discussion at all, but I there are definitely parallels. I don't think that necessarily compels us to certain political actions, radical political actions, but it does compel us to some. And the Christmas story is about not Jesus coming into this silent holy Peaceful night, all is well, all is bright. No, he came into a world that was full of babies being killed, a dictator tyrannically ruling over thousands of people, and a 15-year-old and a 30-year-old newlywed couple with the Messiah fleeing persecution. And I think that in perspective is really important because... This world sucks. It's the world we live in. Yeah. That's the real world, man. It's, it's real the real world. So that's what I'm going to close on. Do you have any last last thoughts? No, nah, man. No? It was a good conversation. Yeah, it was. Yeah, well, just to close things off, as always, uh, we do have an email now. Forgot to say this in the intro, but our email is all over case podcast at gmail.com. No hyphen, just straight up words there. Uh, if you have a question, you disagree, whatever, you want to come on the podcast, you have suggestions, anything at all, go ahead. Send us a question through email. We'd really appreciate it. And this has been episode eight of Anti-Folly. Thanks for listening. and Merry Christmas.